Welcome to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. We have a special show for you today. We dive in with Bruce Sackman, the author of Behind the Murder Curtain. Bruce talks about serial murders in medical facilities. He discusses how he was able to develop a pattern to identify and gather evidence against mass murdering medical professionals. He also discusses how he was able to uncover fraud and pharmaceutical theft. This episode will have you glued to your seats. Bruce is also an editor and author of The Art of Investigation, a brand new book that features a collection of 15 chapters of the best investigative minds in the field. He is also finishing up a 10-year run as the president of the Society of Professional Investigators. This episode is brought to you by Satellite Investigations and ScopeNow.com. Make sure to visit the website to learn all about the new exciting upgrades of ScopeNow 3.0. S-K-O-P-E-N-O-W dot com. Scopenow.com. Don't forget to mention code PIP19 when you visit the site and sign up for an account to receive a 10% discount. That's PIP19. Now let's join Bruce and Matt as they jump into this week's topic, serial murder investigations. Here's our host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome to the next episode of PI Perspectives. I am your host, Matt Spare. And wow, do we have a great, great guest here. It is awesome and such an honor and a privilege for me to uh, welcome Bruce Sackman to the program. Welcome, Bruce. Well, thank you very much for having me, Matt. I'm looking forward to uh, having this chat with you today. Yeah, I've known you for uh, a couple of years, right? I've uh, been a part of the Society of Professional Investigators. But I, th- I was trying to figure out, I think I've been a member since about 2012. Okay. But I know you've been been in charge for a bit uh, running that organization. You know, you, you definitely have had uh, some things happen during your career, and that's why we're here to, to talk today about it. So I just want to uh, let folks know a little bit about your background. So uh, you were a special agent in charge for the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, uh, the Office of Inspector General, correct? Correct, correct. And what that, that fancy title means is that I was responsible for all major criminal investigations involving the VA hospital system. Uh, from West Virginia to Maine, and that include hospitals and outpatient clinics and regional offices. And I had five offices around the country that reported into me, and I had about 30 investigators to cover that rather large territory. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And uh, it, it covering all allegations like fraud, corruption, false claims, thefts, patient assaults, pharmaceutical uh Theft, I guess, right? And, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, most people don't really uh, know exactly what the Office of Inspector General does, particularly for the VA. And the Office of Inspector General, you know, our mission was to ferret out fraud, waste, and abuse in the VA hospital system. In fact, all the VA systems. And the way this was done, it was done through an Office of Audit, which, of course, are auditors. It was done through an Office of Criminal Investigations, which I headed up for the Northeast. And then we also had something unique to the OIG community was the Office of Healthcare Inspection. And that included uh, physicians and nurses who actually go out and do quality assurance work for the VA system throughout the Northeast. Wow, and you did 32 years uh, at that position, correct? Yes, yes. 32 years, and you know what? It was a wonderful career, and I say that because, first of all, it's an honor to be in law enforcement, but it was even a double honor, you might say, to be in law enforcement 
whose mission it was to help veterans, you know, to help our nation's heroes. Yeah, that was our mission. So it was, it, for me, it was a great personal honor to be in that position. No, that's great, man. I know you've uh, done done a lot over your career, and you've extended it into this uh, second career, third and fourth career, and all the cool things that you're doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you wear many hats, right? It's uh, it's pretty awesome. And also investigating suspicious deaths, and you had uh, uh, written a book about that. Uh, it's called Behind the Murder Curtain. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you know, Matt, my whole career for the most part had been white collar crime. You know, fraud and an embezzlement and uh, theft of monies from the VA. Until one day, I actually got a call that, well, it sort of changed my life. I got a call from the chief of psychiatry at the Northport VA Medical Center. And she says, Bruce, you're not going to believe this, but we actually have a doctor here who's working on our veterans who spent time in prison for poisoning his coworkers. Wow. And I looked at the phone, I thought, what, what, is, is today April 1st? Is this like an <laughs> April Fool's joke or something? Right, 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 right. I mean, how could you actually become a physician at the VA treating veterans and having spent time in prison for poisoning your coworkers? Sounds like somebody it turned out to be somebody did not do their, It sounds like someone did not do their uh, due diligence on this guy. Well, <laughs> that's right, absolutely right. Now, in fairness, in fairness, you know that was sort of pre-internet days. Right. But regardless, right. they still should have done a lot of homework. So, I hop in the car and I go out and I meet this guy at Northport, and his name was Dr. Michael Swango. And this guy, he looked like he just came right off the golf course. He was young, handsome, tanned, aviator sunglasses, an ex-Marine doctor. Why, if I didn't know better, I'd want to introduce him to my daughter. The right. guy looked terrific. He sounded terrific. Right, right. And I started to ask him about this. And I said, you know, doctor, somebody told me that there's actually a, a television story about you having spent time in prison for poisoning your coworkers. And he goes into this story, oh, this was all a big mistake. No, it never happened. You know, I was actually an ex-Marine and I got in a barroom brawl, so I spent some time in jail. But the governor restored my civil rights and the guy was just went on and on and on. And if you didn't know better at first, you might actually believe him, which is why he got this job to the, at the VA to begin with. Right. Because he was very believable. But, you know, Matt, there was something about him that just kind of seemed off. Well, to make a, a long story short, I asked him, could we have permission to search your room? And that's when his attitude completely changed. Right. He asked us to leave. Next thing you know, this guy winds up in Zimbabwe, Africa. Wow. Where he killed women and children and pregnant women. But we didn't really have any evidence that he had murdered anybody at the Northport VA. Right. Okay. So we came up with this idea. We said, look, we don't have any evidence that he murdered anybody at the VA, but we do have evidence of one crime. And that's every federal agent's favorite crime. Lying to the government. There you go. Lying to a federal <laughs> agent. And he lied to me and he yeah. lied on his application for the VA. And that's a false statement, and that's a felony. Wow. And we arrested him for that when he came back from Africa, and it gave us three years to do the investigation while he was in prison to find out, 
to determine if he had actually murdered anybody at the VA hospital in Northport. And that's sort of what started me on my career of doing suspicious death investigations at VA hospitals. And I wound up doing them like all around the country. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to dive into that a little bit uh, later. Um, And it's definitely crazy. Like, I guess once you start turning over, uh, you know, uh, leaves and starting to look into into things, one thing leads to another and leads to another. And next thing you know, it's uh, we've got epidemics all over the place, right? Well, you know, the funny thing is because I had been the first agent, the first office to do one of these cases. Well, that automatically made me the expert yeah. because no one else had done one. Yeah. So yeah. next thing you know, anytime there's a suspicion somewhere else in the country, they would say, well, call that Sackman guy. He actually was successful up in Northport. Well, there you go. And that's what kind of led me down that road. Yeah, and you've uh, you've got some exposure out there too, right? You've been on Discovery Health, CNN, MSNBC, America's Most Wanted, HBO. Uh, you, you definitely, uh, folks should know uh, who you are and, and that, that you're out there doing this kind of stuff. Well, you know what? There aren't too many people that have an expertise in this particular area which is medical serial murderers. Um, Maybe an investigator will have one case in his or her career, but I've had a series of them. And that background kind of makes me a little bit unique in the forensic world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Identifying that and seeing that, you know, Hey, this is, this is kind of my niche here and this is what I can do. Uh, In addition to the fraud, I I remember I, I, I saw you speak a, a few years ago at the uh, New York Certified Fraud Examiners on Medicare fraud. I, I believe that was it. John Jay College? Yes, yes. And in fact, I gave a, a similar speech the same time you were speaking there Yeah, a month ago. Well, yeah, that was that was this past month. But the first time I saw you uh, speak actually was, uh, I think, about four or five years ago. And it was great. It was great. You definitely know your stuff. Well, you have to remember, hospitals are like small cities. Right. They procure everything from the most complex scientific equipment imaginable down to diapers and everything in between. And because of all this procurement, there's an opportunity not only for fraud, but there's an opportunity for bribery and gratuities and all those other ugly words associated with the procurement process. Plus hospitals are always building. You know, every time you go by a hospital, you sort of see a new wing or a new building coming up. And there's a lot of construction. And especially in a town like New York, there's a possibility of a lot of construction fraud as well. So not only do we have the murders, which, of course, is very, very rare, but much more common is the fraud and the theft and the construction fraud and the bribery and all those other ugly words. Yeah, I only uh, end up there when those guys get hurt on the job. I've, I've had a couple of medical <laughs> facilities where I've gone to visit guys in the hospital that maybe fell off a ladder or, uh, you know, had something yeah. terrible happen to them. So it, it, it's uh, it's interesting that you're you're looking for them uh, if they got anything in their pockets when they make it to the hospital. <laughs> and not only that, but you've probably seen in the news about all this ransomware. Yes. You know, yeah. where what happens is that sometimes even in foreign nation states, but usually bad guys from Eastern Europe or from Asia, they will go into a hospital system and they will prevent the doctors and nurses from accessing the medical records. And all of a sudden something will come up on the screen and they'll say, unless you pay X amount of dollars in Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. 
you're not going to have access to your records anymore. So that's, that's another problem we have. And then if you do a lot of research, we have nation states like the People's Republic of China that's trying to steal all our research. So there's no shortage of work in the security and investigations field connected to medical centers. Yeah, that's really interesting. So do you find yourself doing dark web and, and deep web searches for people selling like medications and doing other things? Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we actually do. We have we have this, this program that we use and we search and sometimes we find things on the dark web or sometimes there are actually a, a number of sites that are accessed by medical resellers, people who buy used medical equipment. Right. And not all of this equipment is legitimate. So um, when we have equipment stolen, if we ever recover it, we can find out it could be anywhere in the world, and it travels really fast. Right. You know, there's this one site called .med.com. If anybody goes on this site, there is not a piece of medical equipment you cannot find for sale on that site. They get 100,000 hits a day. We had um, 16 portable EKG machines stolen. I was able to recover half of them in about three weeks. The other half wound up in Southeast Asia just in three weeks. That's how fast this stuff moves. So if somebody was interested in, in doing this kind of work, I mean, you said you're the, the expert in doing this. Like, How would just the regular investigator say, okay, I have this passion for veterans or or the healthcare industry, you know, I kind of have a background in doing this. What's the first step? What would you suggest to... to yeah, I would, I would suggest, you know, there was a number of government agencies, organizations that do this kind of work. Certainly the one that I was involved with, with is the VA Office of Inspector General. And they have offices all around the country that, that people could apply for and join. But the states have agencies, the city has agencies. Like New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation, they have their own inspector general. Um, New York State has Medicaid fraud investigators. So there's a lot of government looking into this. Not so much a private sector, unless, of course, you work for the insurance companies, but they're just really looking for insurance fraud. Right, right. They're not digging into the, to the real deep stuff. No. Okay, so we're going to take a, a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk to you more about the whole serial killer and, and murders, and and talk about some of the cases that you uh, that you focused on, and you know what that looks like. So we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Satellite Investigations in New York City. Satellite Investigations is New York's leading investigation firm since 2005. Check out the newsletter archives for previous articles and publications. Matt is also available to be booked as a speaker for your association or conference events. You can visit their website at satellitepi.com, satellitepi.com for more details. And we're back here on PI Perspectives. We are here with Bruce Sackman, our uh, expert in uh, medical investigations and serial killer investigations. He is the um, the author of Behind the Murder Curtain. He's actually written an article called uh, When the ICU Becomes a Crime Scene. And uh, he is a part of a book that's uh, going to be coming out in December, which we'll talk about in a little bit too, called The Art of Investigation. So welcome back, Bruce. Thank you. Okay, so let's dive in here. Let's talk about, I mean, you, you talked about your first case that kind of uh, got you going, uh, getting you the notoriety of doing this type of work. How did that parlay into like the next job or the next thing and, and kind of walk me through? 
Sure. Well, right when I was just about rounding up uh, the Dr. Michael Swango investigation, this international medical serial killer that I was talking about, another case surfaces. This was a young woman uh, named Kristen Gilbert. Now, you know, my vision of a serial killer was always like a Charles Manson type, somebody with a crazy hair and a swastika on his forehead. I never really envisioned a serial killer to be like a typical soccer mom. But that's what this nurse was. (laughs) She was a typical soccer mom. The last kind of person that I would ever even envision to be a serial killer. Yeah, she's suspected of killing over 30 veterans. She was actually successfully prosecuted for killing three and attempting to kill a few more. And this this is the way these cases almost always start around the world. They start like this. Every time Nurse Mary is on duty, the death rate goes up. Nurse Mary takes a vacation, the death rate goes down. People say, hmm, that's interesting. And then, you know, there's also something interesting about these people who are expired. We never expected them to expire. You know, if you have, if you ever had a family member, someone in the hospital that was near death, well, you knew they were near death, the family knew, the staff knew. So when they expired, usually it wasn't a shock. But with these patients, it's just the opposite. They were doing fine. In fact, many times they were actually improving. And the family will go say, you know what? Dad seems to be doing really good. I think we'll go on vacation and then we'll come back and we'll see dad again. Only to get a phone call unexpectedly that dad had expired. So it's very interesting that not only does the death rate go up when a particular person is on duty, but the patients that expire were not expected to expire when they did. Michael Bottoms, the medical examiner, he explained natural death to me this way. He said, Bruce, natural death is like if you shut off a fan and the blades gradually, gradually slow down. But these people, they ex- expired like, like a light bulb. They were bright one minute and dark the next. Right. And that's what we look at. So we look at not only the death rate, but we look at the particular people that died to see if their deaths were expected or not. So who's, and who's, that's how these investigations begin. Yeah, who's generating the interest on this? Do you have, is it like the family members coming to you saying, hey, you know, we think something is fishy here? Like the, I would assume there would be autopsies that were done on anything that was suspicious, correct? Well, let me tell you something. They don't really do many autopsies anymore yeah. because no insurance company wants to pay for them. And autopsies were a terrific teaching tool but they're not really done anymore. In fact, there's a big difference between a hospital autopsy and a forensic autopsy like you see on television. A forensic autopsy, you're actually looking for uh, the murder weapon. A hospital autopsy is more like a confirmatory autopsy. Could the patient have expired from one or more of his natural disease processes? If the answer is yes, and it usually is because these people have a lot wrong with them, case closed, All right. So there's a really big difference, but autopsies are not even really done that much anymore. To tell you the truth, it's just really not done. So on your profile, these people that commit these 
crimes here? Is it like something that's just a compulsion or uh, what's been your experience with this? Well, you know what? I've learned over the years that one size doesn't fit all. But I could tell you what's the most common among them that I've seen throughout the world. And I've looked at cases in Germany with the German police, Canada, England. And this is what I've seen with exception that many of these people suffer from this uh, psychological condition known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. And what that is, is that an example of Munchausen syndrome by proxy is like a mother might intentionally harm a child and bring the child to the emergency room to show what a caring mother she is. You know, she cares so much about this child. She wants all the people, the hospital and everybody to see how caring she is, even though she actually harmed the child to begin with. Right. All right. So Munchausen syndrome by proxy, we, we see it this way. Many of these people who are doctors and nurses, they crave the excitement of a code. And if you've ever seen a hospital code, you know, the crash cart and the nurses come running in and the doctors come running in and it's really exciting. And they like to be able to show the staff what great caregivers and skills they have when a code is called. Of course, they actually cause the code to begin with, but this is an opportunity for them to shine. And when you look in their evaluations, you'll see this. They're like an average nurse, average doctor, except when it comes to a code. That's when they excel. That's when they get an A-plus on their report card. In fact, with Kristen Gilbert, Doctors would say, you know, if I ever coded, I would want Kristen Gilbert to come save me. Boy, she really knows how to handle a code. She would bark orders to the young interns who were scared out of their mind. She's terrific. Well, she actually caused the code to begin with. Wow, that's crazy. Were you hired by the family on that one or? No, no, this was all all my, my time with the government. Okay. All my time with uh, with the VA Office of Inspector General, because she was a VA nurse. Mm-hmm. Then we had a VA nurse out in uh, Missouri. And then uh, one of the most interesting ones I've had was actually a doctor in Albany. His name was Cornack. And it, these cases are all in the book. Sure. And Cornack, what he would do, he was the only serial killer who actually, that I've dealt with, that had a financial motive. And this was his financial motive. He was trying to build himself and his partner up as being the number one guys for research in the VA. They were going to build a new VA research center. They were going to really shine. So they needed to attract as much research money as you could. Now, in order to get research money, all right, from the particular pharmaceutical companies, you have to have a certain number of patients. And these patients have to meet what they call the inclusion-exclusion criteria, which means you have to have the exact disease that they're looking to study, and you have to have the right blood work and creatinine levels and all sorts of other things. So this guy, Cormac, says, gee, where the hell am I going to find 10 people that fit this criteria in order for me to get this millions of dollars in research? So what he did, he altered patients' medical records to show that they had these particular diseases, had the particular right blood work and everything else that was necessary. So he could present to the pharmaceutical companies, then I have 10 people, so give me my million dollars. Wow. But he didn't really have 10 people. 
He had maybe one or two, and the rest he fabricated and altered their medical records to make it look like they had the right disease. They were given these investigational drugs, and they died as a result of that. Wow. That, that's pretty terrible. That's, that's pretty terrible, terrible, yeah. Um, yep. So you would say then a majority of these investigations were done when you were working with the government, or did you do anything oh, yeah, afterwards? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've consulted on others, like like one in Germany and one in Canada, and I actually helped a, a hospital, actually helped defend the hospital on, on one of these particular cases where the hospital itself really didn't do anything wrong. But most of my time actually investigating these people were when I was with the government. Right, right. Okay. Uh, so after 32 years, uh, what, what made you decide that um, you, know, you, you wanted to become a, a PI? Well, you know, actually, um, my original thinking was I, I really didn't plan on it um, after 32 years. But what happened was I retired and I stayed home for a month and that was great. And the second month wasn't so great. Yeah. And the third month <laughs> I said, I got to go back to work. <laughs> so I actually saw an announcement for an investigator in a hospital. And when I went to the interview, the hospital said, well, you know, now that we think about it, um, we don't really need an investigator, but do you think that uh, maybe we could hire you on a contract? I'm not sure. Why not? Right. So the next thing I know, I'm getting contracts from hospitals to do their internal investigations. I mean, most hospitals have a security service. They have a compliance department. Right. But when things get really interesting and really unique, uh, they want somebody from the outside that has more experience and that's what I developed myself as a PI, just to do these hospital cases. Right. Somebody call Sackman on the on the hotline, right? <laughs> that's <Yeah>, awesome. Exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so has it like always been just yourself in this business model, or do yes. you have people working? For yes, you? Yeah, just myself. Okay. But I work with the existing hospital staff. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, they have auditors, they have CPAs, they have biomedical engineers because. And the hospital systems are so complex. I really need all the help I could get. So I'm sort of tied at the hip right. with a biomedical engineer or sometimes a, a CPA. Right. So I work with them and I sort of encourage them and they, they, they get very interested in these investigations. So I sort of encourage them to do this kind of work and they find it very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sure you meet these people through all the Fantastic networking you do. You're like the king of networking. I'll, I'll tell you how I became <laughs> that way. Is that when I was in the government, I thought I knew everybody. It turned out I knew everybody in the government and nobody in the private sector. Nobody whatsoever. So the first organization I went down to was the Society of Professional Investigators. And I met people. And then I started getting involved in all these other organizations meeting such terrific people and helping my myself and helping other investigators as well. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about the society of professional investigators is the, uh, the speaker content, um, it, very dynamic, right. And all, all different types. And, and I appreciate that you could go to that meeting and not actually be an investigator. So it pulls in 
people, you know, professionals from the city, right? Some that are actually still on, in law enforcement, some that are retired, some that aren't even in law enforcement at all or have nothing to do with investigations, uh, but they still come. And then the the the, uh, the people that come and speak. I mean, they could be reporters, they could be uh, people that write books, they could be investigators, they could be uh, data broker companies that are trying to teach you about a new, um, uh, you know, a new thing they're trying to sell, new technology. Um, I, I always found the speakers to be great. And listen, the venue is a it, it's a it's a classic. You know, Four Leanies. Who doesn't want to go to Four Leanies and have dinner? It's real easy, right? Um, I think it's a very unique organization yeah. because I know of no other organization that has that hybrid between active law enforcement and private investigators and retired uh, folks as well. Um, most organizations are either all private investigators or all fraud examiners, but to have uh, sort of a smorgasbord of people, we might say, to pick and choose from, right. where you have active and retired. We're very close with the NYPD. Um, we have federal agents. We we have the whole gamut, and that's how you learn. Yeah. Because when you go to one organization, everybody's the same. Oh, that's nice. That's good. But I think you learn more when you have this mix of people. Yeah, and for me that was important because I did not have law enforcement experience. When I graduated from John Jay College, the city went on a hiring freeze. So I kind of had to fend for myself. Uh, so it's, you know, always ask that, you know, get asked that question. Oh, you retired from the job. It's like, no, but you know, I know people <laughs> and I do know a lot of people. <laughs> also the, uh, the gala that, that spy has every year, that is like the who's who event to go to. It's such a great, great, um, networking event. Um, I always make sure that, uh, that I'm there, <laughs> you know, it's really a really great event. Yeah. We, we work hard at that event. You know, we always try to honor at least one person from the NYPD. And then one or more people from the private sector. So again, that shows the mix right. of people and talent that we have in the organization. Well, yeah, and the Wounded Warrior Project on top of that, which is yeah. phenomenal. You know, you've had uh, such great uh, guests. You know, the, the the guys that serve come in to 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 chat with people. You, you know, just coming to the event, it's so great, like hearing their stories and what they're about. And, uh, and I'm sure some of them have probably been hired, you know, by, uh, by security consultants, uh, hopefully. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they yeah. have been. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's fantastic. So how long, uh, you're finishing up your, your term as the, the president here. How long did you serve as the president of uh, Spain? I served, uh, 10 years. Wow. Um, you know, you thought Mayor Bloomberg was bad when he got a third term. <laughs> Control I actually have him beat. I had five terms. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I know. I, 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 you know what? I felt confident now it was, yeah. that it was a good time yeah. to move on. There are a lot of great people on the board. Yep. And I, I think the new president is going to be terrific. Yeah. And I'm very optimistic about the future of the organization. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, Apple. I don't know too much about Apple. Well, Apple is a, an organization that um, for the most part represents um, management of the NYPD. There are a lot of inspectors and uh, captains and high-ranking people in there. And it's, a, it's and I happen to be on the board because they do have some, some retired types on there. Even though I'm not NYPD, I was federal, but they've allowed me to serve. And it's a wonderful organization. They, they, they do a lot of charity work and they honor people in law enforcement, and it's a great organization that SPY has sort of partnered with because they're always our 
entree into the NYPD, which is very, very important for us. Yeah. Listen, I've developed a lot of relationships with NYPD uh, because of SPY and uh, that helps my business model. So I'm a big fan of SPY. Yeah, definitely. Um, Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, your plans now that you're no longer the, you're going to be the president there. And, uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about the book that uh, is coming out. It'll be out actually, by the time this podcast airs, it, it will be available. Um, it is called the art of investigations. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the book? Yes. Well, I wish I could take credit for having this idea, but I cannot. Because um, that comes from uh, Professor Chelsea Binns of John Jay College, who approached me with the idea. And she said, you know, Bruce, I have this idea for a book there. There are a lot of books about investigation, but there is not any book out there that talks about the qualities that an investigator needs to be really successful in his or her profession and some stories to support those qualities. She says, wow, that's a very interesting idea, Chelsea. She says, can you help me with this? I said, well, I'd be honored to help you. So we reached out to people who are really the tops in their field. And we gave them a list of areas that we thought were of interest and we thought were important for investigators to have, all right? like to be tenacious, to be suspicious. And we came up with 15 of these titles. And we went out and we found 15 people. I wrote one story myself. Right. And of course, Matt, you wrote a terrific story that, that that's you. in the book. Thank you. And uh, some other spy members as well have yep. really fantastic stories. And this collection of stories are now in this book called The Art of Investigation. And it's both a textbook but it's also just good regular reading because some of the stories in there are phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. I, I can't wait to, uh, to read the whole thing. I, I obviously I've read a little bit of yours. I read, um, Emmanuel, uh, Welch also contributed. I read her story and, uh, you know, obviously she's a terrific writer. Yeah, she's great. Fantastic. And she is a terrific writer. And, um, also, you know, on the board of spy, and just a tremendous asset to the organization. And a great human being. Yes. Definitely a good person. Now that my, you know, tenure is coming over, well, I'm going to still work. Right. I'm not stopping work, you know, even though I'm getting close to that 70 point. I would have never guessed it. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not stopping work. As long as the hospitals keep me healthy, I'll keep going. Right. And I have other things. Like one of the, you know, one of the things we have in, uh, in Spy Now is we have a blog on uh, the Psychology Today magazine. Yes, I and just, every I, month we try to submit a story yep, yep. Uh, to Psychology Today. As a matter of fact, Gil Alber, I just read it. You know, yep. retired first grade NYPD detective has the the most recent story in there, and it's been very successful. He's gotten a lot of hits. Yeah. So no, I'm going to con- I'm going to continue running that. Then on on March 20th at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York, we have the first ever international conference on medical serial killers. And we have people coming in from all over the world where these medical serial killers have been. So we have investigators from Germany, from Canada, from England that are coming in. And our keynote speaker is the federal judge who presided over the trial of nurse Kristen Gilbert that I was talking about. That trial lasted for six months and it was actually a death penalty case 
in a state that doesn't have the death penalty because it was a federal case. Interesting. Very interesting. And the judge is going to talk about that. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I know uh, at the last spy meeting you were talking about the um, uh, the conference, and I- I'm excited. I, I'm really excited by this. Uh, and the venue is fantastic. If anyone's ever attended a conference at John Jay College, I mean, they have great, uh, great rooms. Their AV uh, equipment is, is first rate. Um, it really, this, this is definitely a, a, a conference folks you want to check out because there's going to be a lot of people there and uh, you're going to learn a lot too. Oh yeah. I'm looking forward to it. You know, we have Michael Bodden, the medical examiner, is going to be speaking. We have toxicologists who are going to talk about how difficult it is to find these poisons, particularly in embalmed tissue. Right. Very difficult. And they're going to talk about the science of that. We're going to have a psychiatrist who's going to talk about the psychiatry and psychology that's involved in these people. And also very, very interesting. Um, we're going to have an ethical hacker, someone who has hacked, into medical devices who is going to talk about is this the future of medical murders by actually hacking into a device and changing the settings and changing the readings can you actually murder someone should be a fascinating topic i think i saw that on blacklist one of their episodes you know, something to do with like a heart, uh, one of the uh, implants for uh, for pacemaker there was actually in in homeland there was an episode where the vice president had a pacemaker that um, someone hacked in, changed the settings, and killed him. Wow. All right? And we're going to talk about that, the real world versus, you know, television. Right. But what, what's, what's going on in that area and if all these things are possible? Yeah, and pretty scary stuff. I see. Like TV is definitely going to be more in your future. I think every time I have a conversation with you, you're 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 telling me about some uh, production company or some producer that's contacted you looking for content. So I I feel like you're going to end up on there again eventually. Well, I I just did CNN on Michael Swango. They're coming out with a show in March on Dr. Michael Swangle, the international medical serial killer. Sure. So I, I, I just did um, an interview with them. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating topic. You know, the couple of interesting things very quickly between a medical serial killer and a regular serial killer. Regular serial killers, and I don't know if that's the right phrase, but we'll say traditional serial killers. They kill maybe eight people. They kill maybe 10 people. They're amateurs. Compared to my medical serial killers, the average is killed somewhere between 30 and 50 of their patients. Why, this nurse in Germany, who the detectives are coming to speak about at the conference, he murdered over 100 people. Wow. There was a doctor in England named Harold Shipman. He murdered about 250 people. All right. So the numbers are really horrific. And also, the big difference is many of these traditional serial killers. Oh, maybe they, they, they killed prostitutes or they killed people jogging at three o'clock in the morning. And the average person says, well, I don't uh, go to prostitutes and I don't jog at three o'clock in the morning. But we all go to doctors and we all go to hospitals. Yeah, and our loved ones. So that's what makes this even scarier. Yeah, our elderly uh, loved ones end up there. And uh, you obviously want them, you, you have this expectation that they're uh, not going to get murdered when they're uh, exactly. going to the hospital. So, all right. So, how do folks get a hold of you? Well, um, I'm very easy to get a hold of. 
You could get, you know, I, there are two websites. First of all, there's a website for both books. So there's a website that says uh, behind the murder curtain.com. And you could reach me through there. There's a website that says the new book has a website as well. The art of investigation.com easy to remember. Right. Or you could send me an email, which I'd be happy to give everybody my email address is B is in Bruce, T is in Thomas, is in Sam, one eight one one at AOL dot com. There you go. Happy to chat all the time. Nice and easy. I'll actually put those links in the bio uh, for the episode. So Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time out here. This has been You're fascinating. You're very welcome. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you so much. And I hope everybody enjoyed uh, just getting a peek uh, at uh, what, what Bruce is capable of and what his experience is. And I encourage you, go out and get those books and learn something and register for that conference in, in March. I'm sure uh, Spy will have info about that as soon, uh, as soon as it's ready. Thanks so much, Bruce. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for checking out this episode. Can you believe the amount of people that fell victim to these killers? Thank you to Bruce and his passion for addressing this epidemic and bringing justice to so many families. Be sure to check out The Art of Investigation. A link will be in the description of this episode. Make sure to check out Matt's chapter on energy. Next week, Matt gets back to training and discussing new case intake for personal injury cases. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. On behalf of Matt Spare, thanks for downloading and subscribing to PI Perspectives.